Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. Uh, this is episode 17. It is Tuesday, November 24th, year of our Lord, 2020. All right, so um, been kind of a, a an odd week. Uh, I struggled really to come up with some topics to talk about. Um, I guess you could say it's kind of been a a, a blase uh, type week where I really haven't um, had many uh, spiritually in depth thoughts. I just kind of been going through the motions this week. Um, you know, doing a, a lot of work, a lot of focus on work type stuff. And that, that pretty much fills up my day. Um, although I, I did mention on the last podcast, I think that I've developed this habit of listening to a lot of sermons during my work day. So, so that's been occurring. And then, of course, I got my daily readings. But I went through a period a few weeks ago where I was really um, spiritually excited and um, just kind of refreshed. And so I was really just walking in the Lord and, and, and enjoying my fellowship with the Lord, um, enjoying my time in the Word, enjoying um, new thoughts about uh, meditating on the Lord. And, 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 and so it was just a really, really beneficial uh, few weeks there where I was walking really well. And then uh, it seems like things have kind of plateaued and... Um, and th that's pretty normal. I mean, for anybody who's been walking with the Lord for, for a lengthy period of time, uh, there seems to be uh, peaks and valleys. And um, for me, the, the valleys are extremely short-lived. Most of my Christian walk is at a kind of um, plateaued snail pace, like a, like a growing plant. You know, if you, if you were to plant a seed of, of corn in the ground, and then watch it grow, and you were to observe it minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, you really wouldn't notice much growth because it occurs so slowly. And um, when you're right in the midst of it, when you're observing it, it's almost impossible to see. Like parents know that as you're watching your children grow, you really don't notice the growth occurring um, until you look back at like old photos and stuff, and then you're like, wow, these kids have really grown. You know, it's kind of shocking. And it's the same way with, with our spiritual life, I think. I think most of our spiritual growth, especially because the Lord compared it um, to to agriculture. You know, he, he used a lot of agricultural um, analogies uh, and, and parables uh, for the for the spiritual life. The mustard seed and and uh, the seed plant, you know, the seed sower and, and so on and so forth. Um, so there's a lot of similarities there, obviously. That's why the Lord chose to use those metaphors or, or those analogies or whatever you would call them. But um, So I think our spiritual growth is a lot uh, like a plant growth. It, it's, it, it's slow. It's steady. It's never-ending. Even So like when you're in the midst of it, when you're looking at it, because the Christian life is one of constant self-observation, self-examination. You're constantly looking at your heart. You're constantly um, examining your walk. You're constantly uh, confessing your sins and, and seeking more holiness and striving to find ways to walk in the Lord. And so when you're eye-to-eye -eye with it like that, when you're eye-to-eye -eye with that spiritual growth, um, constantly observing it, it's it's hard to see 
the moments of growth. And, and so, um, like I say, for, for me, it seems like a lot of my work, uh, a lot of my walk is at a, a plateaued pace. Um, not a whole lot of peaks, not a whole lot of valleys, just, just even. And to the point where a lot of times it seems like there's not even really growth going on and you're looking at it going, Oh man, you know, why, why, why am I struggling? Why is there, why is there nothing happening spiritually in my life? Um, but then, you know, a year down the road or whatever, you look back and you see that, you know, okay, like looking back at the picture of your child, then, then you see this growth. You're like, Oh, okay. I see what happened there. Um, I hope this is making sense, but, um, and I really forgot what my initial point was, but, um, oh, just, just, you know, I've, I'm kind of in that, I wouldn't call it a plateaued season, um, necessarily because I still feel refreshed. Um, that might be the lingering effects, uh, of the, 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 um, the grace that was given to me a few weeks ago or a few months ago or whenever it was, I tend to forget, um, time just kind of all mushes together. Um, but I've had a period of, of enjoyment in the Lord, of satisfaction in the Lord, of, of receiving his grace. And I'm still feeling the lingering effects of that, although I'm not uh, really seeing anything um, tangible. I, I can't really point to anything and say, here's where growth is occurring. Here's where I'm learning something. Here's where I'm being edified. Um it's just, it's, it's a slowed down pace from a couple months ago, I guess, or I, I don't really know how to explain it. You know, um, I, I I hope those of you out there that are listening that really are born again, kind of understand what I'm getting at here. Just this, this inner growth, this inner, this inner walk that we have, um, there will be times of refreshing. There will be times where you feel super close to the Lord and things are going great, and you're and you're walking on cloud nine, and then there will be times of spiritual depression and hardship and struggle, uh, but the rest of the time is just kind of even keel, and and even in those even keel moments, um, some of that can be depressing because you're you're looking for growth, and then some of it can just be contentment. You know, I'm satisfied. This is the the path the Lord has for me. I know I'm walking in Him. I know I'm I'm doing His will. There's just there's nothing big going on in my life right now, if that if that makes sense. And so that that's kind of where I am uh, right now in my walk, um, coming off those those few weeks of, of really good um, satisfaction in the Lord, and now just kind of moving into this period of um, I'm still content, I'm still satisfied, I'm still joyous in Him, but it's I I, I haven't really focused on anything there hasn't been any new revelations i just kind of been um going through my day-to-day -day life you know doing going to work and then uh going to the gym and 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 just kind of going from there um so like i say it's it's it was hard to kind of come up with some topics to to discuss here um Just really don't, there's nothing really I can pinpoint as to where my spiritual thoughts were uh, throughout this week. Um, 
some things that did occur to me though, and I think this is this is uh, quite common. I, I guess I haven't really paid attention, but it it it, it seems like this is common. Um, whenever I'm in these uh, spiritual downtimes or whatever you would call it, when when I'm not really um, uh, running at full pace, so to speak, I tend to fall back onto um, common topics. Like there's several dominant thoughts that I have, and 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 so I tend to come back to those. And, um, that was the case this week. There, there's a few things I was thinking about that are really, uh, just common issues for me that I think about often. Um, but one of them that was kind of new for me is, um, I was thinking about, I had this idea in the back of my mind, something, something that I had heard a long time ago and I never really investigated it. I never really looked into it, so I didn't know whether or not it was true, but it, it seemed like something that was interesting. I heard that there's this commonality uh, between um, certain chapters and verses. Um, like, for instance, there's the 316 verses. Everybody knows John 316, you know, the for God so loved the world. Uh, but then I heard, like, there's a connection um, between other 316 verses in the Bible. And I can't recall exactly which ones they are with, with that 316. I don't know if it was Genesis 316 and uh, John 316 and maybe 1 John 316 and... But there's just this this connection between those, and I, I always thought that was kind of interesting, and something that maybe I would want to look into in the future, but but never really got around to doing. Um, I guess it was one of those things that was interesting, but not so interesting that it compelled me um, to dig into it. Uh, but another one that I always noticed was the the one one verses. Of course, you got Genesis one one in the beginning God, and then John one one, which in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. So we see this connection between Genesis 1 where God creates and John 1 uh, where Jesus Christ, the word, is revealed as God. And and so I'm sure there's other 1-1 one, one verses throughout the scriptures uh, that you can look at as well. Um, but uh, for, for my point here, for my reference point, um, I wanted to look at... Uh, the four six verses and and the reason for that was because I, I started thinking like my favorite verse um the verse that that really stands out to me the verse that i would call my life verse is second corinthians 4 6 and i've i've just always seen this as because this is the verse that explains um what occurred to me when i got saved this this is exactly what i felt what i experienced um, in that jail cell back in 2001 when the evangelist came through and was preaching the gospel. And uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it reads, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so that's my favorite verse. And I think I was reading um, a sermon um, where the pastor had mentioned another four six verse, and I can't remember exactly which one it was. I think it might it might have been Colossians four six, which says, "Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man." And it occurs to me that that's a verse that's often on my heart as well. Like I I I, I think about that verse quite frequently, just because I know how how sinful and foolish I can be in my speech. 
when when I speak quickly or when I speak um, out of irritation or bitterness, you know, it's, it's never good. And so I'm always thinking about this verse, like, you know, my speech should be with grace seasoned with salt. I remember I even uh, way back in the day, like when I first got a flip phone, I like taped, um, I wrote this, this verse down on a piece of paper and taped it to my phone to remind myself to let my speech be grace, to be gracious, uh, seasoned with salt, whatever that means. I mean, that's a, another topic, but so I started thinking, I wonder how many of these four, six verses, um, would, would, would appeal to me. And if I, if I could see any sort of connection. And so I just kind of scrolled through the scriptures and I found several four, six verses that I like. Um, in addition to that, two Corinthians and Colossians, uh, there's James four, six, which says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And so, um, that that's another one that I've thought about often because I, I I tend to struggle with pride, and God resists the proud. So maybe not specifically James four six. There's a lot of verses that talk about uh, the sin of pride, and and so that's always been a common thought in my life as well. And then First uh, John four six says, "We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us." Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And again, that, that's another verse that's uh, been on my thoughts quite frequently. It reminds me when Jesus would speak, he would say things like, you know, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus didn't debate his cause. He didn't fight for his cause. He simply spoke the truth and said, you know, whoever's meant to hear will hear. And and that's what First John 4, 6 is getting at. Those that are of God will hear. Those that are not won't. And 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 so... You know, we can leave it at that. And then uh, Ecclesiastes 4, 6, uh, better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. And uh, Zechariah 4, 6, then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Um, just this idea of God's sovereignty and, and how it's his power that accomplishes things. It has no uh, external, the, the, the external circumstances, uh, might and power or force or, or uh, resources, all of that is irrelevant. Things are accomplished by the spirit of God, by his power. And uh, Mark 4, 6 says, but when the sun was up, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Um, that's picking up in the middle of the parable of the seed sower. And that's probably the parable that, that um, I reference most frequently, the parable that's had the most impact on me because it explains um, life, it explains salvation, and it explains the preaching of the gospel, um, that we're, we're sowing seed and, and, and the ground is determined by God. Some of the seed's going to fall on hard ground, some's going to fall on, on the wayside. Some's going to fall amongst thorns and some will fall on good ground. Uh, but that's determined by God. And and so I've often referenced that that about false believers. They don't have the root. There's an immediate springing up, an immediate appearance of salvation, uh, but then they fade away over time. 
And then uh, Luke 4, 6 uh, is, is one that I, I reference quite frequently. Um, it's it's Jesus' temptation in the desert. And it, it says here in, in 4, 6, And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. Now I reference this quite frequently because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, um, a student of conspiracy. I, I study out the New World Order and the geopolitical schemes of the world. And this verse here shows that the devil is the god of this world. He, he owns the kingdoms of this world. And he gives them to whomever he wants to give them to. He has the power. They're delivered unto him. And whoever he wants to, he gives it to them. And so it, it just goes to show that the, 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 the world and all of its riches, all of its glory, all of its, all of its kingdoms belong to the devil. And then uh, Galatians 4, 6 says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Um, as I've struggled uh, in my walk, you know, I often examine my own heart. And, you know, of course, every believer thinks, you know, am I truly saved? And one of the evidences is that he is my father, that I know him as Abba, Father. His spirit is present in my heart, crying out, Father. And so that gives comfort and evidence of salvation there. And then Ephesians 4, 6 says, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Um, that shows the, the, the um, commonality that the family of Christ has. Uh, those that are his, you know, that are truly born again, um, are one family. We, we all have the same spirit. We belong to this one family. And then uh, Philippians 4, 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And so that's an anti-anxiety verse to show that we have nothing to worry about. It says, be careful for nothing that's careless, without worry, without anxiety, to not worry about anything, you know, just to be content, you know, to, to trust uh, your fate to the Lord, to trust your circumstances to the Lord. And that's a key thing in my life as well. And so I went through the scriptures and I found all these. And at first, I didn't notice the connection. I just wrote them down. I was thinking, I don't really know what my thoughts were. I don't know if I intended to memorize these or I just wanted to, it was just something interesting for me or whatnot. But I wrote all these verses down. And then as I was, as I was reading through them, I was thinking about what, what is the, what is the, the, if I could narrow down the verse to one word, you know, give it, give it one quality, one characteristic what would these verses reference? And the 2 Corinthians 4, 6, I, I would say is salvation. And Colossians 4, 6 is speech. James 4, 6 is humility. 1 John 4, 6 is uh, true believers. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 6 is contentment. Zechariah 4, 6 is sovereignty or, or power. Uh, Mark 4, 6 is true believers. Uh, Luke 4, 6 is the new world order. Galatians 4, 6 is evidence, um, the evidence of salvation. Ephesians 4, 6 is family, the family of Christ. And Philippians 4, 6 is no worries. 
And so as I wrote those down, I thought, wow, that's quite a coincidence. Those are themes that have been um, dominant in my spiritual walk um, over the last 19 uh, years here. The, these are themes that, that have repetitively gripped my heart and, and my mind, things that I've constantly thought about. Um, the salvation of the Lord, how, how uh, salvation is of God, how it's, it, it's determined by him. It's a miraculous salvation, a resurrection of the dead. Um, speech, how, how I'm very aware of my speech and how I, I desire to have holy speech, but the tongue is a flaming fire. It, 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 it's unruly and, and it speaks out of turn and, and sins constantly. And uh, humility, about how I recognize my pride and my arrogance and my desire to be uh, alpha male and to be dominant and how I, I need to humble myself because God resists the proud. And uh, true believers, you know, speaking the word and having it received by true believers, uh, that, that's also been dominant in me. I'm, I'm often uh, very cautious uh, to accept people just because they say they're a Christian. You know, where is the evidence of your salvation? Um, I don't want to comfort somebody in false security. Um, being content, uh, the Ecclesiastes one, uh, d just being satisfied. I think one of the first verses I ever memorized uh, in, in jail was in Timothy. You know, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. Just remember not, just to be content, to be satisfied with what I have, to not seek anything. You know, whatever the Lord provides, that's enough for me. And uh, Zechariah, how, how it's his sovereign hand that does things. This, again, is a, just a dominant thought in my life. And, uh, the, the, again, Mark 4, 6, the evidence of true salvation. And Luke 4, 6, the new world order. The, this has dominated my thoughts for 15 years of study. And uh, the evidence of salvation in Galatians, you know, you know proving yourself, testing yourself. And uh, Ephesians, the, the family of Christ and, and loving one another and, and seeing the commonality of salvation that we have. And then, of course, Philippians, the, the anxiety-free, just not being worried about anything, being satisfied. And so it was really cool that, I, that after I wrote these down, like I say, I really didn't know what my intention was going into it. I, I, just re, I had remembered those, those 316 verses. And then I had noticed the the connection between the one one verses, um, specifically Genesis one one and John one one. And then so my favorite verse is the Second Corinthians four six, and so I just thought I I wonder you know what the other four six verses say, and and so I I don't think I really had a plan there or or any sort of goal. I just wanted to just it was more of a curiosity. And I went through and wrote all these down, and then after writing them down, I saw the themes that, that are identified in those scriptures and, and how those are themes that have uh, been prevalent in my life. And so I just thought that was kind of cool and interesting. And um, You know, I, I don't know how, how this can benefit you. I suppose if I could excite you about the Word of God and, and just all the, the manifold ways that, that we can find pleasure and joy and excitement in the word of God, um, just all these different, like, like, of course the chapters and verses they say, you know, aren't inspired, 
Uh, but God is a God of order, and, and numbers are orderly. Mathematics is an orderly thing. And so the, the idea that, that, that there's a numerical pattern, that there's, that there's, um, there are no coincidences, you know, it's, 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 it's no coincidence that, uh, Psalm 118.8 is the center of the Bible. Um, I've, I've, I think I, I've read some people say that it's not really, and then other ones that say it is, but, uh, it's no coincidence that Psalm 117 right before that is the shortest uh, chapter in the Bible, and Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. You know, so th there are no coincidences, and, and so these connections between these verses, and the, and the connection between the idea that, that the Lord uh, gave me 2 Corinthians 4, 6, like that's the verse that he has laid upon my heart as my favorite verse, as my life verse. And then all these other 4, 6 verses uh, just happen to talk about topics that have been um, important topics in, in my walk, to topics that have been important to my thinking and important to my, um, my, my, my inner man, um, topics that I've enjoyed and, and found, um, pleasure in thinking through and studying. Um, so I just thought it was kind of cool, uh, that that occurred, that I, that I found all these, uh, four, six verses that, that did in fact have a connection, um, at least for me personally, and so I guess the encouragement for you is to just find joy in the word, you know, uh, however that's done. Um, switch up your Bible study reading patterns. Like I, I do that as well. Like I think I started just reading front to back or, or no, I'm sorry. I, I had a, there was a jailhouse Bible called Free on the Inside and it had a, a daily um, uh, reading plan marked out in, in the front of the book. And so I went through that. I think I was in jail for six months. And and the program in the in that Bible was a one year reading program, and so I said, well, I'll just read two a day, and and by the time I leave jail, I'll have finished the Bible, and so I did that, and then I I think after I got out, my my pattern, uh, my study habit was to read front to back, um, with with a much greater emphasis on the New Testament, I suppose I, I think I probably read the New Testament seven times for every one time I would read the Old Testament. Um, just because in addition to your daily reading, you know, you're also just casually reading. And, and I found that I really just enjoyed reading the New Testament, um, specifically like uh, the letters of Paul. And then um, even more specifically, the uh, the small letter, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Like those are my favorites. That That's really where I find my focus. And of course, Proverbs. Uh, once I discovered Proverbs of the Day, I was reading those every day. And uh, later in life, I really uh, developed a love for the Psalms and would read through the Psalms quite frequently. Um, but just find things that excite you, you know, switch up the pattern. A after reading front to back for several years, I, I, I started reading, you know, back to front. And then I uh, got myself a chronological Bible and would read chronologically. And then I think I would read uh, small books to big books and then big books to small books. And then um, I developed my own random pattern of reading, uh, my own reading schedule where I'd just do like uh, Matthew and then Zechariah and then First uh, Corinthians and then Genesis and then uh, Romans and then First uh, Samuel. And then, you know, just kind of, just it was completely random. Um, and I, I, I wrote up a, a list 
and printed it out and taped it in the front of my Bible. And I used that for, you know, four or five years. I, re I read through that pattern. And now I've got a new pattern. My I, I read, um, I, I'm really wanting to, I'm still, for like the last several years, I've really been focused on the Psalms, which is an answer to prayer because I used to not enjoy the Psalms. I didn't understand, um, like, the, I don't know what I wasn't, I, I, I guess I can't remember what I wasn't getting out of it, but I just, I felt like it wasn't spiritually beneficial to me. And so I remember praying, Lord, make me fall in love with the Psalms, you know, and let, let me get something out of this. And, and, and the Lord has answered that. And I really, really enjoy the Psalms and spend a lot of time reading through the Psalms. And so right now my, my, my pattern is I'll, I'll read, um, uh, three different times a day in the morning, I'll read, uh, old Testament or Psalms. It switches back and forth. And then at lunch, I'll read whichever one I didn't read in the morning, either the Psalms or the old Testament. And then at my last break of the day at work, I'll, I'll read new Testament. And then originally my plan was to also read, uh, the proverb of the day at the end of the night. Um, but I failed to do that so far, but, um, the the point being just just find things that excite you about the the word of god uh we're told to meditate upon the scriptures day and night to think about the scriptures and so any way you can find to 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 keep you entertained in the in the word to keep your mind captivated and captured by the word of god uh through memorization uh whether that's single verses or whole sections whatever it is through through uh nifty connections between the verses or uh differentiating your your reading schedule whatever it takes uh just keep yourself in love with the word of god and 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 keep saturating yourself with the word of god um so anyways i i i i hope i, I feel like i've just been rambling a whole bunch of nonsense here but hopefully um you get something out of that uh, we're coming up on a break here. Um, on the other side of the break, I'll, I'll touch on uh, two other issues that I've been thinking about throughout the week. All right, welcome back to the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. And uh, just uh, got done rambling on about my 4-6 uh, verses. Um and then I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast here that that um, in in my downtimes when I'm really not um, running at full pace, um, and when I say that I'm talking about this race that we're in, we're in this spiritual race, and there's times of refreshing when when you feel like you're running um, full speed ahead, and you're really just um, absorbing the things of the Lord. You're 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 experiencing new thoughts about God and and you're you're growing in your depth in him you're you're meditating on his qualities and his characteristics and really just in love with the things of the Lord and then there's times where you're kind of slowed down and and you're walking um at a at a casual uh leisurely pace and and you're just kind of going through the motions um, not, not that you're not in a spiritual frame of mind cause you're still, you know, praying to the Lord, thanking the Lord, um, thinking about your, your necessity of dependence on him. You know, these, these are common things that are always going on in the Christian heart. Uh, but you're just, it, there's not a whole lot 
of new thoughts or, or new ideas or new opportunities or things like that going on. It's just kind of business as usual. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I would say that um, I'm I'm still, I, I haven't slowed down to a walking pace because I'm still filled with the joy of the Lord and I'm very content and satisfied in Him. Um, I'm just kind of, I'm jogging along at a leisurely pace, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying the run. And uh, so, and like I mentioned at the beginning, in times like this, I tend to fall back on common thoughts, uh, things, spiritual ideas that repetitively go through my mind um, that I haven't uh, exhausted, that I haven't uh, found a solution to, just things that I like to think about, things that I like to to ponder and so one of those is I've often thought um, about what what is the difference between a preacher and a teacher. And the reason this thought occurs to me is, is there's probably some selfishness involved. And what I mean by that is I think I've been called to be a teacher. I, I think that's the gift that the Lord has given me. It's, it's, um, it's what I find the most satisfaction in is, is teaching is just taking the scriptures and explaining the scriptures, reading the scriptures, sharing the things that I've experienced in the Lord in the scriptures, just just talking about uh, my spiritual life and and the revelations that the Lord has given me. That this is this is fun and explaining it in a way that people can grasp and understand and experience with me. And so I, th- I think that's the gift of teaching. And so the selfishness comes in as I've always thought, man, I want to be a pastor. And and that's a selfish fleshly desire because I, I don't think I'm called to do that. Um, a, I'm, I'm not qualified to do that. Uh, there, there are very specific qualifications mentioned in the scriptures that I think are vitally important and probably, unfortunately, are overlooked. I think a lot of people take it upon themselves or are appointed to a position of of pastoral headship um, as a, a preaching uh, pastor, and, and they don't qualify, they don't meet the qualifications. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe, you know, the elders and the deacons and, and the church leadership are doing their job and, and making sure that their pastors meet these qualifications, but... I know I don't qualify. I know, you know, the 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 different listings of qualities that you need to be a pastor. Um, I don't meet, and so it's a it's a selfish fleshly desire that I have to to be a leader. You know that that's that's the pride in me. I want to lead, I, and and so a, a person who wants to lead is probably unfit to lead. You know, it's the servant that is the leader, and and so. I'm probably not called to be a preacher. I'm probably not called to be a pastor. And and I, I don't know if there's a difference between pastor and preacher, but um, that that's where my thoughts are, is, is I've been thinking, like, what is the difference between preacher and teacher? And another reason this thought comes up often is because when it mentions the gifts, I, f- I forget exactly what sen- section of Scripture it is, but... It's running through the different gifts. I think it's like a, uh, the apostles and, and um, prophets. And I don't remember if it's what the other gifts are. But then it comes to, to preachers and it says preachers and teachers. And, and, it's, and then a comma. So when you're reading that, it's uh, apostles, comma, 
prophets, comma, and then all these other gifts with a comma following each. And then it says preacher, no comma, and teacher, comma. So the idea is there, is preacher and teacher the same thing? Is it, is it the same gifting? Is it the same calling? Um, is it preacher and preacher? Are, so in other words, if you're a preacher, you're also a teacher. Um, and if you're a teacher, you're also a preacher. Um, that they're connected, that they're intertwined. And so I often think, like, like what exactly is the distinction between the two? And, and, and then also, what is the distinction between uh, the two and, and pastor? What's, what's the difference between them? Um, are they all the same thing? Um, are they, they different? And, and, and if they're different, what is the difference? And so, like, when, when you look at the words, the word pastor um, in the scriptures refers to a shepherd. And the word preacher refers to a herald, somebody who proclaims. In proclaiming, in this case, proclaiming the gospel. And a teacher is one who, like, explains the scriptures. And so you think about, like, a preacher slash pastor, he, he needs to have the gifting of a teacher. He needs to be able to, to open up and expound the scriptures and to teach and, and to explain and to unpack and to, to show, to reveal uh, what the scriptures are, are teaching. Um, and so... I think I think I, I, I've kind of settled this intellectually, but not spiritually. Um, I need I need to see it in the scriptures more clearly um, to get final resolution in my heart. Um, but I think I, I see the difference between the three as, and I'll start with what I would consider the lowest level of the three, and that would be a teacher. So a teacher, I see their job um, is to. Um, uh, unpack the scriptures uh, to expose what's in the words. And so a teacher's job is to, to take the word of God, to read it, and then to explain its meaning, to, to, to show. And I'm reading a book by Pastor Piper called Expository Exaltation, where he makes it... Uh, <clears throat> And rightly so, he makes it important to to clarify that that you're not uh, just explaining the scriptures apart from the word. You're showing people what the word means. So I think that's what teaching is. I'm not just telling you facts and then you have to take my word for it. I'm showing you what the word means. I'm showing you how I'm coming to the conclusions I am so that you also can see it. That's a teacher's job. And a teacher's job is also to explain it simply so that, you know, even a, uh, like I always think you want to explain things in a way that even a fifth grader can explain. I always get really irritated uh, when when preachers use uh, big theological terms with no explanation or they use big words just because I think they like the, you know, I, well, I'm not going to speak for that. I don't know why they use these big words, but I always get frustrated with it because it's like a lot of people aren't going to understand what you're talking about. You have to speak um, at a level that people understand and can comprehend. Speak to people at a fifth grade level so that even the children in the room can grasp what's being said. What's the point of saying things if people aren't going to pick it up and experience it for themselves? 
The whole point of teaching is, is, is we have experienced a joy in the word. The Lord has revealed something to us in his word and it's exciting and, 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 and thrilling. And you want others to experience that as well. And so that's the point of teaching is to show them what you've been shown and to make sure that they understand and grasp it. And, and so that's what I think teaching is. So then you move on to preaching. What is preaching? Well, preaching um, includes teaching, I think. But, a, but a preaching is a proclamation of the word. So like it's, it's not only teaching, but it's, it's standing up and proclaiming that word to, to, the, to the masses. And, and in that, there has to be an explanation as well. You, you don't just proclaim things without explaining what they mean. So, so a preacher has to have the gift of teaching as well. Um, a preacher takes uh, the classroom and brings it into the world, so to speak. A teacher is set for the classroom. A teacher is set um, f- for mainly believers or, or people that are open to the scriptures, people that are wanting to know what the scriptures say. A preacher is like a public herald that, that then takes that information and goes out into the world and, and proclaims it. Um, so, so there's a, so I guess you, you would say that, um, teachers are not necessarily preachers, but preachers need to have a, a semblance of a teaching gift. They have to be able to expound upon the scriptures. They have to be able to explain what it is they're proclaiming. And then a pastor um, is another step beyond that because a a pastor is the shepherd of a flock. Um, A pastor needs the gift of teaching as well. He needs to be able to explain to the sheep what the word says. I think a a main part of the pastor's job is teaching. That there's like a, I would like a 50% of his mission is to teach. So he definitely needs to be a teacher. But then there's more. A pastor is also a counselor. A pastor is also a guide. A pastor is also a wound healer. Um, so there's this added um, double honor for somebody who's called to be a pastor. Uh, they're called to lead the sheep, to guide the sheep, to show them. So there's not only the teaching ministry, but there's an application of the teaching and a hands-on training uh, where they where they show the sheep how to live out these teachings, where they show the sheep the way in which they should walk. Um, so a teacher explains things, and then a pastor uh, explains and applies and shows and guides. Um, so it's a, it's a much bigger. So I would almost say that that a that a that a preacher is kind of like an evangelist, uh, or I guess it's a mixture. A preacher is a, a mixture of a, a teacher and an evangelist, right? Because an evangelist is somebody who goes out to the lost and calls them to repentance and faith, proclaims the gospel. A teacher is somebody who who explains the scriptures to the curious. I would say mainly to the church, but also to those who are open to the word of God, that that are curious. So a teacher's job is to explain the word of God to the curious. A preacher's job is to proclaim those teachings in a public atmosphere, um, to, to... to, so more more than a, an evangelist is is a singularly focused message, uh, the gospel, the law and the gospel, 
uh, sin and conviction and, and repentance and mercy and the cross and the resurrection. A teacher is taking every verse throughout the scriptures and expounding them, explaining them, showing what's in them. A preacher is is taking that teaching and proclaiming it to the church, so like applying it to the church, so to speak. And then beyond that is a pastor who's um, teaching, but also uh, shepherding and guiding and and helping and and fighting for and defending and and um, clearing the path and showing the way. Um, so I, th- I think that makes sense. You know, it makes sense logically. I wish the scriptures would would show it plainly. Like the scripture would say, uh, "Teaching is," and then would say what teaching is, and preaching is, and say what preaching is, rather than just telling us, "Here's the gift of preaching. Here's the gift of evangelism." And it's like you're left going, "Okay, well, what's the difference? What's the distinction between these things? Um, is it important?" I suppose as you're trying to develop your own gifts, your own, your own, um, as you're trying to figure out what it is that you're called to do. Uh, like I say, I, I, I think I'm called as a teacher. I don't believe that I, I'm called to be a pastor. I don't believe that I'm called to be an evangelist. Um, I don't believe I'm called to be a, well, maybe a preacher. I, 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 Cause I, uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I feel a desire for that as well, like the public proclamation of the gospel, uh, and a public proclamation of a teaching ministry, like to stand up and explain. Um, but, anyways, that's uh, neither here nor there. But just something I often think about. I'm often coming back to that. Like, what is the difference between preaching and teaching, and 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 and, and because they're so interrelated, you know, all four of those things, evangelism, preaching, teaching, pastoral ministry, they're, they're so, they share a lot of similarities. They share a lot of the similar giftings. Um, but I, I think I, I, I think what I just went through there um, has helped clarify it in my mind, just speaking it out loud and, and getting that at least um intellectually and um, just logically, reasonably thought out, it makes sense to me. So um, it sits well within my heart, so to speak. I, I, I think that gives me some clarity on what the differences are. So with that, um, we will move on. Uh, the final thing I want to talk about is um, an, another thought that often occurs to me is my books. I don't know when or where it happened, but I became obsessed with books. Um, I collect books, and I don't know how that happened. I used to, I, like, I never really had time to read. And so at some point in time within the last few years here, um, I really started getting into um, collecting theological books. Um, can't remember how it started. Uh, probably with realizing how much uh, some of my favorite teachers, John Piper, Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, just realizing how many of their works were available out there. And then uh, discovering like at, at, at thrift stores and stuff, you could find good Christian books uh, for cheap. And um, I got friends who are really into books. And so at some point in time, it, it just kind of became this obsession 
uh, where I would buy books, like every every paycheck, you know, I would set aside a certain amount of money and, and just go buy books to the point now where I've got three bookshelves, three large bookshelves that are full. You know, I've got 400, 500 books. And, and so it got to the point where it's like, man, is this getting out of control? Like, when am I going to have time to read all these? And so a, a large portion of my, my thought life has been like trying to figure out how I'm going to read all these books. And I've actually gone through and counted them all and, and done the math and, and figured out. So I'm a slow reader. I think I'm a slow reader. I don't know. I don't know what pace people read at, but I feel like in an, in an hour I can read like 20 to 30 pages. And I often think like, man, that's really slow. You know, cause if a, if a book is 300 to 400 pages, it's going to take me 10 to 15 days um, at an hour a day to read a book. And so then I look at my bookshelf and I go, man. And then I keep buying new books too, so I'm not catching up. But I look at the bookshelf and I go, how am I going to read all these? When am I going to have time to do this? And if I read 30, 40 books a year, it's going to take me 40 years to read all these books. I'm going to spend the rest of my life which is a, a good thing. It's a, it's an exciting thing. It's a good thing, um, but I I I can't remember what my original point was here. I, I guess it's the, just this idea of, of of this overwhelming idea of how how many books I have to read and how long it's going to take, and like how I'm going to find the time. And I remember I was sitting here the other day thinking, you know, I need to up my reading. I read about an hour a day. And I was like, I probably need to set aside two hours a day. If I could read 50 to 60 pages a day, if I could make that my goal, and then on the weekends maybe, you know, you read like 100 pages or something. I was like, I could really get through these books because it's exciting. It's it's like, man, if I could get all these books into my head, just imagine the glory. There's so much gold. There's so much treasure. We got all these wise great men of God who walked strongly with the Lord and wrote their thoughts down and we have access to it and it's exciting. It's like, man, all this good stuff. Um, But another problem I have other than being a slow reader is that I don't retain a lot of what I read. Like I'll I'll walk away from my hour of reading and and barely remember any of it, like maybe 1%. And it's gotten to the point where it's like, man, if I read a book and I can retain, if I can glean one or two really good ideas from it, if I can get one or two really good topics out of it, I'm excited about that. Sometimes I'll read a whole book and I know it's a good book because it's by a godly man on a godly topic with with good scripture and, and just, I know it's a good book, but I'll, I'll, I'll get done reading it and I really didn't get anything out of it and I don't remember anything of it. And then there's other times where I'll, I'll get like one or two really good ideas from a book and just get excited. And because I gleaned those one or two things, I consider it one of the greatest books of all time. And um, and then there's other books that are just chock full of greatness from front to back that just kind of stick with you. But um, I, I, I really, and I suppose I just need to turn to prayer to ask the Lord um, to, to A, Help me to dedicate more time to read, um, to to or to and to read quicker, and to retain what I read, because, like I say, there there's so much gold. It's it's pretty amazing. This this. What's amazing is that 
for the last 2,000 years, we've had brothers and sisters in the faith walking with the Lord and, and, and reading the same Bible that we're reading today. So while if you look at like philosophies and, and ideologies and, and, and theories, they change over time to the point where like if you were to pick up uh, some old book from 500 years ago, uh, it's probably going to be nonsense to you. It's going to be, you know, the, 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 the romantic ideas that they had back then are just, you know, boring or, or irrelevant to us today. But when you look into the Christian ethos, when, when you look at the, the, the collection of books that we have from Christian writers, regardless of when it was written, from the time of Constantine to the time of Augustine to the time of, of uh, uh, Whitfield and Edwards to the time of Spurgeon to the time of Pink to the time of Piper and MacArthur, we're all writing about the same topic. We're all writing about this great God we serve, his holy book, his son, Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit. And, and we're writing about these revelations that we're getting in the spirit uh, from this, this great book that we have, the Bible. And so we're all talking about the same topic. It's like we're all, we, we're collectively joining into this huge, massive, universal Bible study. You know, you go to a Bible study and you share ideas with your brothers and sisters. And in all these great books of the past, we're adding these brothers and sisters to our fellowship. Like I get to fellowship with Charles Spurgeon. I get to fellowship with uh, Arthur Pink. I get to fellowship with Jonathan Edwards and B.B. Warfield and, and John Knox and, and John Newton and, and, and just a, a magnitude of other brothers, you know, Henry Morris and, and uh, E.M. Bounds and, and Leonard Ravenhill and uh, just whoever else. I don't know why I threw Ravenhill in there. I haven't read a Ravenhill book, I don't think. But um, It's just you're able to join into fellowship with these brothers, talking about the same things that we're still talking about today, and it's exciting. And so that's this great gift that the Lord has given us. He's given us this glory of these books. And I often think about that verse, buy the truth and sell it not. And so, you know, I never see anything wrong with buying more books, but I want to have the time to read them all. It does no good for them to sit on my shelf just looking nice, although they do look great. I love looking at my bookshelves, but but I want to read them. You know, I want to glean. I want to, I want to have fellowship with these brothers. Um, so it's uh, just, you know, I, I suppose that, that was the idea I had. It's just like, how am I going to have time? At the pace I'm reading, how am I going to have time to get to all of this? But uh, Lord willing, I've often told my brothers, I wouldn't mind going to prison if I could bring my books with me. You know, lock me up in a cell and, and give me 20 hours a day with nothing to do but read. But let me have my books. Bring the books. You know, and Paul said that too when Paul was locked up. You know, bring me my parchments. Um, so I'm I'm not alone in that. But anyways, um, I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, that's That's about all I got for you guys this week. Um, as always, I, I do appreciate you listening. Um, I love you guys and, uh, Lord willing, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Stay classy, San Diego.